0: Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I am Jonathan, and I am joined by Aman. Hey there. Hey. Um, this episode uh, was recorded on the 8th of December. Um, the gift pack and the snarl things were released a couple weeks ago, and uh, that meta is just in full swing. Yeah, and the big two events coming up,
1: from a competitive standpoint, are the January UK Grand Clash and the Las Vegas Open as well.
0: Yep, unless anything is released between now and then, we expect uh, the game state will be like that. So uh, our next part is just going to be community shout-outs. We've had some really great stuff come out recently since our last episode, and uh, we just want to talk about that. So my first one is that Tom Bond wrote a great episode not an episode. Sorry, a great article on Still City Underworlds about the meta. Um, it's funny and it's informative, and I definitely recommend it. Uh, I think he makes a lot of great points.
1: And I got a shout out too.
0: Oh, you got a shout out? Yeah, he he was uh, he said you are a man. <laughs> That's right. And Mike is his man, and Nick is an Italian man. Great. Those are all true. <laughs> so. Um, and then the next one was, uh, Call It Shadespire has a Cardology article where he goes really deep into a card, and this one is on Restless Prize, and uh, he makes a lot of good points in there. Um, it's a great card, but he, I like how he basically tries to go into as much detail as possible on the card and all the uses and everything like that, so I definitely recommend reading that as well.
1: Yeah, and I really like the TLDR parts as well. I mean, I do read the whole article, but um, (laughs) it's like a nice brief uh, summary where he's like, this card is great. You should take this card. But let me tell you why you should take it, even though you know you should take it, which is great.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, Two of the other things that we saw um, was uh, just that the Battlecast dropped a parody meditation video. Um, It got a lot of positive reviews (laughs) and comments. It's pretty funny. And uh, definitely something that you could definitely bump right before an event. You know, channel those crits and make sure (laughs) the Dice rolls support you. Uh, Another big announcement from our end is we actually have a Discord now, Uh, the Path to Glory Discord channel. Um, Essentially, uh, we were getting a lot of intake on uh, questions and, and comments on, you know, just helping people with their game and their decks. And uh, at one point, we felt like we were really inundated, so we went ahead and created this channel so that not only could we gain greater visibility into all of that, but our community members could assist one another as well. So we've been pleasantly surprised with the uh, people in the channel, and if you'd like to join, uh, just ping one of us or uh, let us know on uh, Discord, and we can definitely add you. We've got deck-building conversations going, general meta-conversations, and the purpose of this Discord as a disclaimer is We don't want to take away from any of the other discords, especially the larger Reddit one. Um, Our biggest, uh, I guess, intention here, again, is to make sure that we can continue to help uh, our community members who reach out to us. So definitely go ahead and give it a gander. Um, Again, we're not trying to take away from any of the other discords, and we're still active participants in the other discords as well.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm in that other discord probably way too much, but, <laughs> um, the purpose of this one is just sort of a, a, a focus, um, on what we're doing. And, uh, we'll probably have like events and we've had like votes on what people want to see on streams and, um, things like that. So just a way to interact. Um, it's a way to get your feedback. Um, you know, we're fairly new to this and we, we will just want to get better. And so it's just a place that, uh, you know, for podcast related things and all the stuff we're trying to do. So um, it's been great so far and uh, you know, anyone is welcome. Um, and we'll just try to do more and more with that as time goes on. Absolutely. So, very exciting. Um, anything else you wanted to add from the community? Uh, no. Um, cool. That's really it. All right. Well, the next, um, <clears throat> the next part is going to be our community and, uh, just personal underworlds recap, things that are going on. Um, one of the cool things that's happened is the German Grand Skirmish um, took place at the end of November on the 30th, 31st. And uh, I, I guess it was technically a Grand Skirmish because it had that was the support they were able to get, um, but it had 54 players, which is you know practically a Grand Clash, and they used the Grand Clash format, so best of three. To, uh, cut to top 16 and all that. So, um, whereas normally a skirmish is like five or six or seven rounds, best of one. So, right. Um, and uh, it seemed like that was a great event. Um, 54 players is pretty big, especially you know, other than the big UK events at the Warhammer World and I guess Adepticon uh, in the US. I think that's you know one of the biggest events. Um, I think Spain may have had. Spain had um, like
1: 85 or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's not a small event at all, and uh, it looks like the top four from that event were Cursebreakers, Grimwatch, Thorns, uh Grimwatch again are the top wow. four. what so. a surprise! Yeah, yeah. Cursebreakers took it home. Um, the Grimwatch player that came in second, um, only lost that final game. Um, so they were on an eight win, eight, yeah, eight game win streak. So. That's pretty impressive, but I wouldn't say that I was surprised by, you know, those war bands, but um, I think Curse Breakers, uh, they're not very popular right now. Like the numbers for players are pretty low, but um, it seems like they're still definitely relevant.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was dripping with sarcasm earlier.
0: Don't <laughs>
1: yeah. about that, but, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all that these four war bands are here. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing with Curse Breakers is that they're good. And if you have a good player piloting them, they'll perform better than the average person. So, um, no no surprise there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it looked like it was a pretty standard um, like a spell deck, um, a lot like the Nightfall ones, but just with you know no Shade Spire cards. So I think the only Beastgrave card he was using was uh, the Era's Instant Shield, which is a really cool card. But everything else was you know either available in Nightfall or from Nightfall. So,
1: Yeah, I, I was taking a look at that list right before the podcast, actually, and uh, um, I liked the fact that he had uh, a lot of score-immediate synergy. You can score multiple cards at once. I think that's the way to do it when it comes to Curse Breakers, and um, Yara's Instant Shield is just very strong for them. So, uh, a lot of yeah. synergy there. Solid deck overall. A little aggro-heavy. I don't know if I would have taken both Well of Power and Sphere of but... You know, can't argue with the results,
0: right? Yeah, the restricted list is really tight for any of the Magic War bands because a lot of their stuff is still on there. So, yeah, but uh, congratulations to them. Um, the Grimwatch decks, I would say, looked pretty standard. Um, one of them was running dug-in, which is interesting. Um, the uh, third-place Thorns deck was also running dug-in, so it seems like that is popular over there. Um dug in of course is the hold three objectives two rounds in a row um and then when you do it you get a lot of glory it's uh four glory so <clears throat> i guess when you pull it off it uh it really works
1: yeah it's uh, it's a very strong card and i think the it's moving more towards like a passive meta so i can see why the curse breakers did well if you're unmaking on any one of those easy to hold objectives then it certainly becomes more of a challenge, right, for your opponent. And so I can definitely see the strength and the tech taken there. Uh, I do think that dug in is, I don't know, I don't think it's a good card. Not in the sense of its design, but more of like it just doesn't reward like tactical play. Like it's very easy to move on to three objectives, especially if you win boards and all three are in the back, and then hold them. And if someone happens to knock you off, you can use your pushes, especially if you're the Thorns. Or your power cards, um, and I just I don't know, I don't really feel, how I feel no know, know how I feel about dug in, but um, I just don't like seeing it in the
0: meta, and uh, I don't know. Hmm. I don't mind I don't mind seeing it. I just feel like it's especially if you know the other person has it in a best of three format. Um, the interesting thing about it is that all you have to do to stop it really is make sure that in the second round they aren't holding three objectives, because then they can't get it in the third, and they won't get it in the second. It's hard to do that though. It may be hard to stop it, yeah.
1: Um, if you look at the Grimwatch, they have some amazing gambits, and then it, and the universal gambits that you can take are pretty strong as well. And then you have the Thorns, who have the best action economy in the game when it comes to pushes. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty easy if you're teched to score it to to stay on it, right? Especially with distraction and mirror move.
0: Well, I mean I guess I would say I think it's actually really easy to make sure they never score it. Because you know, I I would I feel like there should be a lot of mischievous spirits in the meta. I feel like people everyone should have distraction. Everyone should be, you know, prepared to make sure they don't people don't ever hold three objectives. And then when they do, they should immediately try to stop that. So, I, I'm not surprised that Cursebreakers was able to get around that. I'm also curious um I'm curious how many games people with dug in win because they had dug in and not games that they were just going to win anyway. It seems a little bit more like a win more card. Like if you're able to get supremacy once, I think that's pretty impressive. If you're able to get it twice in a row, I just feel like the game must be going really well for you. But
1: yes and no, I think yeah, dug in does feel like a win more card, but imagine all the times where like you know, you're maybe not having the best hand or you're just getting unlucky with rolls and then boom, four glory. And then now you can put all your upgrades on and start doing some really cool things. And I think I would mm-hmm. challenge your viewpoint in that it's... Now, you believe that it's easy to not let your opponent score, but I mean, look, top three decks. Two of them were playing objectives and two of them have had dug in. And Yeah, that's true. I can't You know, at the end of the day, those warbands are really good at moving around. And, you know, you mentioned... Distraction. Yeah, I think everyone has distraction. Honestly, if you don't, then um, I would, I would suggest that you try it. But even <laughs> if, even with mischievous spirits, right? Like, I've been building decks. I just don't have room for that card. Um, yeah, the gambits are real tight, and the upgrades are even tighter nowadays. And it just feels like, you know, unless you're going to try to hard counter objective warbands, which you probably, you know, it's not a bad idea going into a grand clash. Um, it's it's hard and. Even if you do that against Thorns, they just Varklap back on. So, um, it's, well, I
0: mean, you would definitely only use it in the last activation or the last uh, power step.
1: Right, if you have it. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. It's true. I mean, obviously, two of the top four had it, so uh, I guess it worked out. But yeah, um, I guess we'll see as uh, as people get more and more used to objective play being so powerful. Um, it'll be interesting to me if it. Sticks around because I feel like most of my decks are set up to make sure that I can handle objective play. And to me, handling objective play, if they're getting supremacy twice in a row, like I'm I've just lost already. Um, My goal is generally not to let them get it ever, you know. But absolutely, but even with that being your goal, how many times
1: an opponent pulled supremacy off on you,
0: right? Yeah, it does happen. It does happen.
1: It happens more often than I think most people would think. And even then, you can still win the game. But if they get Supremacy and dug in, then yeah, it's (laughs) probably not going to go your way. That's a seven swing.
0: That is the other thing, is that they don't really need to score it. Because, like, for example, the Grimwatch deck that has it has 23 glory in it. Um, So there'll be some games when they just throw it away and they're fine with it. And then there'll be games when they do get it and then... They've definitely won, so I think yeah. uh, I see your point about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and um, also like it's also the fear of supremacy and dug in, right? Like if you know your opponent has it, you're gonna mm-hmm. like expend more resources and take certain lines of play to try to stop that from happening uh, because you're so scared of that glory swing, and because glory is how we win this game, you're gonna put more effort into it, and then your opponent can just take advantage of that. They can be like, okay, well you just took suboptimal moves or maybe played your cards in suboptimal manners to stop something that I might not even have in my hand, and I'm going to take advantage of that, you know, and and either beat up on you, take advantage of your stretch plays, or uh, continue to follow my game plan, which is, you know, to do whatever I need to do to win. And it doesn't necessarily involve either Duggan or Supremacy. So I always think that's a really interesting counterplay or or mini game that you're playing as well. Like, do they have it? Are you trying to pretend like you have it? Um, And again... I can't tell you how many times I've spent trying to stop an
0: opponent scoring supremacy, and they mm. just didn't have it in their hand, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, the um, uh, third place, or yeah, third place, Thorns deck um, actually wrote a deck guide on Will of Power as well, and he makes a lot of the same points because he was running it. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I may have to try it in one of my decks and see if I feel like it's uh, reliable. So. You're referring okay. to Duggan? Mm-hmm, Duggan, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep, cool. Well, so yeah, it looks like that was a great event. Um, it'll be interesting to see the meta sort of shift after that and see if there's like a reaction. Um, it does seem like uh, objectives are doing really well. So um, let's see. I think our next uh, thing is just have you been any t- Have you been to any events lately? I, I actually have not, so... Um, yeah, I have. I've been playing
1: uh a lot of the beast grave war bands have been kind of uh burned out on the night vault stuff mm-hmm. uh, and uh i've been to three events in uh the beast grave i guess era and i happened to win all three the latest being the wild hunt uh that was a fun day um i played them very much like god sworn mm-hmm. kind of threw a bunch of damage upgrades accuracy cards and uh Just said go, right? And uh, it was a lot of fun. Just charged almost every activation. Obviously, there are moments where you don't do that. You might draw a card or you might just run uh, Legane through uh, Lethal Hex. Mm -hmm. But other than that, very reminiscent of Godsworn, which is interesting. I was kind of nervous because for those of you who know, uh, I've taken Godsworn to three events now. And I've made it to top table. And then my dice have just crapped out. (laughs) Yeah, where I played a chosen axe player and I missed like eight or nine just attacks. Like he didn't even roll defense. I just missed. Um, (laughs) So uh, I was kind of wary of that. And so I took cards, obviously, like uh, Haymaker, Potion of Rage, and uh, I have Kurnoth to make sure I got those uh, those dice in there. And uh, I would say it worked out pretty well. I went two and one versus Lady Harrow's uh, first game I lost. So that wasn't very uh, strong (laughs) Uh, but I managed to pull it through, so won that round. And then, uh, then I played uh, Malog. So I was mm-hmm. kind of into that because I don't really see Malog very much. But um, you know, if you just happen to chunk a bunch of attacks at him and just kill him pretty reliably quickly, yeah, he can't really do much. He took out like two fighters, but you know, he 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 was taken down. And then uh, the third, the uh, second game, sorry, it was a bit more cagey, but. Um, had a glory lead, so I was like, even if you score denial and kill one of my fighters, I think I got this. And so I just drew a card and happened to call that perfectly, which is really rewarding. Felt nice. And then I played <laughs> Deminers, um, and that was an interesting one because they have so much health, but uh, they're slow. Take advantage of that, and uh, you know, happened to two O them as well. So great event, lots of fun. Glad I got Wild Hunt out of the way. Uh, interesting. Mm. I've still been playing them afterwards, like anyone. Anytime someone wants to play a cam game, I've just been playing the Wild Hunt. Um, it's just kind of soothing to play something so simple.
0: Uh, mm. Yeah,
1: you know, so yeah. Yeah, they
0: have a lot of flexibility, like with their range and their speed too. So, um, I, I mean, they're they're pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of like positioning and target priority stuff to think about. So, that's what I like about them. Absolutely. Yeah, and I haven't been to any events, but I have been playing locally. Um, we're gonna, I think we're gonna start a league locally, and other than that, we've mostly just been um, sort of exploring the Beastgrave meta. Uh, I've been playing um, a lot of Shadespire warbands. Uh, I'm playing Reavers. I'm playing Skaven. I'm playing the Skeletons, and uh, I've been just enjoying that. Uh, it's interesting to, you know, go to an older warband and then try the new strategies especially the with how good objectives are um i've really been enjoying skaven with you know temporary victory and mischievous spirits and uh, swift capture um, being able to move the objectives around and then like appear underneath them with the resurrection is really cool um i think i had one where i played mischievous spirits and then was able to get uh, two rats under objectives and then uh, I just played the card to summon the third one right on the other one, and that was temporary victory right there. Um, so that was that kind of stuff's really cool with the Scaven. I've always um, found those
1: interactions to be cool. You can do that with the Guard as well, um, mm-hmm. and because it's an action, you just bring them back on, uh, especially if you've got a objective token under a, or on top of a starting hex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just summon one, boom, temporary victory.
0: Yeah, and with Mischievous Spirits and Restless Prize in the deck, you have two ways to get that set up, so that can be really cool. Um, Have you been playing anything other than the Wild Hunt, or have you mostly been focusing on them? Uh, I've just been on an aggro kick lately, so I've been playing (laughs) with as well. Yeah.
1: Um, I really like them. I think they have some of the best stats in the game, as as all of you are probably aware of, and uh, it's just fun. Like, The Wild Hunt are interesting in that, like, if you charge, your fighter's probably gone unless he's scathe. But Mm -hmm. Magor is different, right? Because they can tank a hit or two if they're lucky. And uh, Riptooth and Magor are always fun. Uh, I've been particularly enjoying Gartok, or as I like to fondly call him, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) Zach and Gary. (laughs) Yeah, Zach and Gary. Those are the boys. And uh, Gary just can't be pushed, man. It's great
0: yeah the ability for him not to be pushed you just put him on an objective and then like four health is a lot to get through so yeah yeah
1: and i think i've been playing the aggro stuff because a objectives uh but b mm-hmm. a group of snarlfangs. so everybody's been playing those guys l- lately right and mm-hmm. everyone you know they're good at fighting uh, low health objective war bands and so everyone's been running them as like a counter meta but as we've discussed before uh Rippa's are so good at aggro that they're just bad against other aggro, mm-hmm. especially aggro with high health. So I've just been really enjoying playing Magor's into Rippa's and just being like, yeah, cool. You know, like Ripa hit me maybe <laughs> killed a fighter, but now he's charged and uh rip tooth Magor and either Zach or Gary are going to pile up. And once I've taken down Rippa, you don't really got much else going for you. Um, so it's fun, and like I kind of took a Hunter build, which I don't think it was optimal, but you mm-hmm. know Tracking is great, Snare is great, um, and that with Spectral Wings as well is awesome. So uh, you could probably still take Tracking without having to get the Hunter because you still get plus one move. Um, but mm-hmm. Been enjoying it, it's fun, and I've been watching Tom Bond play them a lot as well um, mm. on some cam games, and uh, that was kind of my inspiration there.
0: Cool. The um, so you've been taking upgrades to make Magor's hunters and then uh, using the bonuses.
1: Yeah, I took. Uh, I think one is predatory instincts, and the other one has a uh, legane running away from like a saber tooth saber tusk. <laughs> I forget <laughs> yeah, to I think, think
0: that. But um, huh, that's just trying
1: it, just just messing around with it. Like I said, I don't think it's optimal, but it was fun when it worked.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I've. Um... I was playing Michael once and I think he had a he was trying to make Molog work like that. So it's interesting. I think um I think the hunter mechanic like sort of works right now for people that aren't already hunters. So it'll be interesting uh, to see where that goes. Yeah. Um that I one of the things that I've really been enjoying recently as well is basically not playing <laughs> Grimwatch or Thorns <laughs> and try to play uh other things to beat them. Yeah. Um because I don't really have a big event coming up until LVO, um, I've just sort of been exploring different war bands, different strategies um, sort of to like, ex- just explore like, and uh, you know, maybe try to figure out what uh, things I need to be working on. And then I think I'll probably pick a war band as we get closer and then really start uh, getting the reps in with that. But um, I think Skaven in particular, I've really been enjoying um the way the meta is right now with uh objectives being really good uh i I like what you said about the snarl things and then magors because i think a lot of the time if you build a objective deck and you aren't thinking about handling those um you might be in trouble and then if you're focusing on just beating objectives you're not thinking about magors or maybe condemners um you might be in trouble there too so it's it's, it's an interesting like cycle that the meta is in right now.
1: I completely agree, and I've been really enjoying it. And just to echo your thoughts, I've been playing stuff that's not meta. I'm just trying all this stuff out. I have plans on messing around with Guardians next. Um, and uh, I kind of want to make Curse Breakers work. Um, I mean, not to say that they don't, but uh, at least the meta in the U.S. is a little bit different from Germany. So... Curious to see how that works out as well
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true um, I think they're good I think I Chris think Briggers will always be good um, But I don't think they're the powerhouse That they were before So maybe I'll give them another pass as well I, I think I played them early in night vault And I haven't really picked them up since So I guess we considered Bringing them to ATC But other than that uh, Haven't really touched them I'm kind of glad we didn't
1: take them to ATC uh, Yeah Yeah, me too. Because I think you definitely were more comfortable
0: with the Guardians and uh, it worked out. Yeah, it did. Um, Let me see. Uh, Next thing, um, just what are your, I guess, what are your thoughts on the meta right now? Like, do you, um, are there any particular cards or anything like that that you've been enjoying that maybe you didn't initially think of or anything like that? Yeah, so,
1: I mean, great segue, right? Like, we've been kind of talking about some of the things that we've been enjoying, and I think, you know, as we both just mentioned, uh, Grimwatch and Thorn seem pretty meta, um, if not the current defining meta. And so a lot of the strategies revolve around either uh, countering them or countering their counters, which I think is really interesting because the game kind of feels... Um, and this is not to be taken literally, but it kind of feels more rock, paper, scissory than it has in the past where, Mm -hmm. you know, aggro beats objective, um, objective um, can maybe beat control, and then control, in theory, hopefully stops aggro. Um, We don't really see much control as of late, but it's more of that passive scoring that I'm talking about. And so it's this weird situation in which uh, Thorns and Grimwatch have kind of become like, either they can flex into control objective or objective aggro. And so it's kind of scary because you really don't know what you're going to kind of match into, right? And both those warbands play both of those strategies really well. So it's trying to finding a good balance. Mm -hmm. So right now I think the meta, again, those two are on top, and then it's just whatever else people think can compete with them. Um, Off the top of my head, I guess that comes down to Lady Harrows seem very popular, and they've been performing well.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: they've got some of that control aggro style or maybe even objective aggro straw where they sit in the back, power up a little bit, score those cards, Um, especially if they win those objectives. They kind of have an advantage because then they're just cycling through their deck. And because the other player has to come to them, they can take advantage of their uh, powerful attacks or at least try to get inspired. Uh, And then uh, we've been seeing some curse breakers uh, always strong. Um, Unmaking seems powerful. Um, Profiteers again Solid Warband um, No stranger to those here For either of us And yeah. uh, two damage at range is still strong um, And then I think uh, After that I'm really only seeing like Occasionally Magor's, Goblins, and Guardians um, I do think there is a Potential build with Guardians Where you can kind of just blow up all the objectives And maybe flip some of them But uh, mm-hmm it's just Othari is so integral to that, right? And who's really good at jumping in the back line and assassinating some of your key fighters? Well, the Briar Queen. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah.
0: What about yeah. you? What do you think? Um, I think you I think as far as like what the meta is warband wise, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I've noticed that uh, a lot of people seem to really be enjoying the Iron Skulls boys. Um, I think you know partially as a challenge. but also like they actually have really good base stats and so people have been playing objective iron skulls boys um apparently to great success so i think that's really cool um i think it's really interesting how objectives i would say i don't think it's too controversial to say that objective is probably the strongest archetype right now yeah and when that's the case um like that means that a lot of different things are important. So like the way that board placement um, has completely changed since nightball is really interesting to me. Like when you win that roll off um, a lot of the time you want three objectives, either so that you can score them or so that the uh, other person can't. And then what that means when you take three objectives is that the other person gets to set the boards up usually wide so a lot of my games are like wide board games. Right. Um, and then, but interestingly, if you're playing Magor's Fiends and you win the roll off, you probably give them the three objectives because then you want to be set up wide. 100%. And the really interesting thing that I've noticed and just I've, I've been doing continually is I'll give an objective war band the three objectives. And then when they put their first objective down, I'll put my first one down in their territory Um, because I don't think I'm going to be able to stop them from scoring stuff, you know, like temporary victory anyway. But I'll put mine in there to push their placement out forward. And there's usually two of the five that I can fight over in their territory. And then they'll be able to put one way in the back and then another one kind of in the back. Um, But I've been having a lot of success with that. Um, And I'm not really sure if it's possible. Like, I haven't messed around with it too much, but I think if people can figure out how to um make decks that revolve around holding two objectives and then like flex into aggro or control um i think that would possibly be a little bit more reliable than needing the three um all the time but i'm not sure i need to mess around with that more
1: (laughs) yeah i kind of agree i really like how you mentioned the uh aggressive objective placement um because i agree with that i even when I've won boards against, like, Thorns or Grimwatch, mm-hmm. um, especially against Grimwatch, right? You give them the objectives because you get to control the board, you get wide, and then mm-hmm. you you get aggressive with your placement, which throws their placement off, and then, boom, you've got your aggro warband up in their face um, fighting over at least two objectives, and then, most importantly, against Grimwatch, stopping their Inspire, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think you definitely give... The Grimwatch three objectives. Um, If you're playing the Grimwatch, I think they're particularly the one that, like, I don't know if I would take Supremacy and Dug In for Grimwatch because I think I want the boards to be skewed, and I think that means I probably want two objectives on my side in some matchups. If I'm against Magor's Fiends and they wide board me, that's going to be a really tough game. Yeah. Um, Same with Rippa's Snarl Things, although they're sort of fast enough maybe to get in either way. Um, So that's kind of a scary prospect. So um, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, dug in seems difficult to me. But even supremacy, I feel like uh, in some games could be hard. Because if you charge me with four McGorris Fiends, uh, and you've placed the objectives in such a way that, you know, at least two of them are within reach, it's going to be difficult for me to do that. So. Um, it's cool it's 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 like the game feels completely different than it did in night vault um and th- things are just completely the like how important certain things are have changed so i've yeah. I've really been enjoying it
1: yeah, I've got two things to say to that so um I guess to your most recent point the game does feel different. I mean you're right that it, it does seem a little bit more uh, like setup is more important than night vault um every role matters. Where you place those objectives matter. Where you place those lethals matter, and I think if you out place your opponent, um, you're definitely at an advantage every game, right? Um, you're making the right calls, um, so I think that's important. Like when I played against um, a Briar Queens player, I think it was Nick Ramon, and I played my Wild Hunt. He, I won the roll off, and I said, "I want boards. You can have the objectives." And uh, I should have no, sorry. I said, "I'll have the objectives. You can have boards." And I shouldn't have done that because it limited my engagement ability with those thorns. In that situation, because I'm just such a pure aggro warband, I should have given him the objectives. I should have set up wide, and I should have just started running in. Because if I can take down two or three thorns, his objective game plan just became a lot harder, right? Um, And to that point, you're talking about offsets. Um, Offsets is is so strong in this game. Um, I know that some people aren't fans of it and are quite critical against how wide you can set up that board on an offset. Um, or sorry, how small you can make that channel, but that's yeah. really hard for aggro too, right? Cause even if you are playing rippers, and they have the speed to get in, um, they're coming in piecemeal mm-hmm. and more often than not, they'll only get two in and then one will be like right, right there on the cusp, getting ready to charge on the second turn. So if you can gang up on one of those guys and get in quick, um, that's a huge swing, right? And I don't think most people will play it like that because they're wary of, of that consequence. But if your deck is just so aggro skewed or your hand, uh, which is another thing, right, is like nowadays I don't think you can drop your your uh, objective hand. Um, you've said this before. Yeah. So. It's like the game is like you. in order to keep up with Groomwatch and Thorns, you got to build like a very strong objective deck. And your worst hand has to be one that you will keep in any situation. Because if you toss that, that's what, like three, four glory maybe? And then now you're three-floor glory behind a warband that's scoring, like, 20-plus glory every game. Um, so that's another right. thing. There's just so many different nuances. So at this point, I feel like even though deck building, superior deck building kind of, like, helped a lot, it's more important now what you build, how consistent your deck is, whether you select to uh, – like, the board roll-off feels a bit more important, especially if you win it, making that critical decision. And then those placements, right? Like, you can stop people from placing lethals by placing objectives. In a mm-hmm. situation where you don't want them to, like, you know, if you have three hexes and on, when there's a gap in between, put an objective there, right? And, and it's just thinking about that before your opponent takes advantage of your mistakes. It just feels so much more crucial uh, in the beginning. And uh, I don't know if I really think it's better than Night Vault, but it definitely does feel like a different game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love Night Vault, but this is great as well. So um the other thing that i think is really really cool is how important uh, just positioning your fighters is like if you block an objective against like thorns or something in the first activation um it takes them a lot of work to get that objective back and then if you can like push them off and then block another one and kill a you know kill the only fighter that's close enough to an objective and things like that like you can really start taking these objective warbands apart um even though it seems like they, you know, have way more glory and they have way more flexibility and things like that. Um, you can actually counter them. And then with the right tech, like restless prize and sidestep and distraction, a lot of the time you can sort of play like a, it's, it's much more of a card game, uh, you know, that this aspect of the game. Um, but sometimes you'll be sort of fighting over stopping them from holding two objectives, stopping them from holding three objectives. Um, so I've been taking a lot of control tech even in my aggro warbands. Um, it's just really cool. Like it's it's just a different way to play. Yeah, definitely so. And uh, again, still fun. but uh, oh, definitely... yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, just kind of interesting how crazy aggro and like all the surges we had in Nightfall. Um, but it's it's just just really cool differences. So. Um, anything else you want to say about the meta or, uh, anything else related to that?
1: No, no, I think we've covered that pretty well. And I think it'd be great to just jump into some listener questions.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> let's see. It looks like the first one is from, uh, Gerard, the professor. Um, and he wants to know what our top three war bands that we hate the most are. <laughs> um, I think I'll answer this one. Sure. <laughs> Um. So
1: we certainly don't hate any war bands, Gerard. Well, except Malog, of course. <laughs> I think I think that's my first one. I have to start yeah. thinking about it after that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely, uh, I think hate is a strong word, but I think it's justified when it comes to Malog. Um. You guys know I'm very critical of him. I think we both have been. So that's who I would say I hate. Um. And if the rest are regards to. I think at the end of his question, he goes, the hate correlates with OP perceptions. Winky face. Mm. So if we're going off that second stipulation, then I think the other two warbands that receive a lot of hate from the community, not necessarily Jonathan or myself, are Thorns and the Grimwatch, with Curse Breakers being a very close fourth because uh, people just love to hate on those guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I think... I don't know if hate's the right word. I I don't like... I actually think Molog is okay now, but I feel like they've selectively hit him with the band and restricted list like so many times that that's really the only reason. Um, I don't like it when one war band skews the meta so hard that um, it kind of invalidates other ways to play. Um, I think that's what I don't like about Grimwatch. Um, although, interestingly, with the gift pack, we do have a lot of tech now. To handle them i don't think they're as good as they were before but they're still very good and they still kind of force you to stop them from inspiring and that's i don't i just don't love how they um they sort of make you play the way they want you to play um but i still think they're a cool warband um and i think that's a great
1: segue right into the next question from brandon, sure. brandon asks, how strong will anti-objective warband decks be And which warbands would do well with that playstyle, Jonathan?
0: Yeah, um, it's an interesting one, because I'm not sure if you... Like, for example, I think it's possible to make a Guardians deck right now that could literally destroy three to five objectives over the course of the game, or flip them. Um, And because I think... I don't think most other warbands would take flip tech back. I think usually if you flip an objective... It's just flipped. Um, I don't I don't think Thorns or Grimwatch or anything like that would really bother to, to take cards that would let them flip it back because it's just too many moving pieces. Um, like the other person has to flip it in the first place and then you have to flip it back. So right. um, it's just a lot of work. So I think you could make a deck like that because she can destroy one that she's on, and then she has the uh, Unmaking to get another one, and then you could flip another one with the other spell, and then you could Lethal Snares upgrade um, a couple more, maybe. Um, the problem is when you face aggro, like snarl fangs or Magors or Condemners, that's a lot of cards in your deck that don't do anything. So I personally don't think we'll see too much of that, uh, where you're so skewed um against objectives um that you can't really beat aggro um it might be fun to try it but i don't think from a meta perspective we'll see a lot of that but i do think that we'll see um cards that i would consider to be good against objectives like distraction um restless prize um, mischievous spirits mischievous spirits i think that those are going to be very common um Personally, I think I'm putting Restless Prize and Distraction in every single deck I make. Um, I'm probably putting Mischievous Spirits in maybe a quarter of them, something like that. Um, I think I'd take it in uh, Skaven for sure because they have like double use of it. I would probably think about taking it in Curse Breakers just because they can only be in so many places at once. I feel like sometimes like they're limited Um and it's, it's just a great tool to have because usually it takes two to three uh, push cards to counter it and get you back on three um, if you were on three when they played it. So I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, I also think that Earthing Stone is a really interesting piece of anti-objective tech. I think we'll see that on some aggro warbands as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like Magor's or Molog. It's funny on Molog because you can put the uh, stalag squig on an objective in their territory and then maybe you'll have that in your opening hand or your second round hand you know
1: yeah absolutely if the squig doesn't get nuked, um sure yeah but uh brandon to answer your question um i guess how strong will anti-objective warband's be? I know it's kind of a um neutral answer but uh we're not really sure right um as jonathan explained there is a very neat each way to play a couple warbands. Um, mm-hmm. In regards to the warbands he mentioned, uh, the second part of your question, what warbands would do well with that play style, I think we've named a couple. And then uh, aggro warbands as well, right? So aggro mm-hmm. naturally beats objective because, well, in most cases, um, kind of different now. But you take a hard-hitting, fast warband, then uh, the objective player will be on the back foot. But again... Thorns and Grimwatch have a way of uh, clawing their way back from time to time. So, um, hope that answers your question. Again, kind of long, but um, <laughs> great use cases and great
0: examples there. Sure, yeah. Um, let's see. Our next question is um, Kelly land I'm gonna, I'm just butchering that name, but um, they say. I won a small tournament last night with Magor's Fiends. Looking at the meta, I deduced most people would have a high model count war bands and would prefer to get three objectives rather than putting the board down, uh, all playing into the hands of Magor. What counter meta war bands and or play styles do you think would be strong right now? Um, we've already kind of talked about that, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that that's exactly... like I think that's a great move. I think that picking Magor's into that meta was obviously the right choice because he won, but... Uh, I would say that's highly recommended. Yep.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, I like his second question though. Do you think Mm -hmm. it's time games workshop accepts that 1.5 hours is not enough for three games of competitive Warhammer Underworlds stories of grand clashes being decided by less than a full game. And by full game, I assume he means best of three are common and innumerable store tournaments. Um, Mm -hmm. you've been very vocal about this and, uh, I'll go ahead and let you uh, answer this one. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've definitely mentioned this before. I think we talked about this um, at our after our Nova open episode. Um, I personally don't think that uh, – I, I, I guess it's 90 minutes. I don't think 90 minutes is enough for three uh, games. I think the game is more complex than it was before. And the, just really just the setup of the second – game and the third game and you know tearing down the first and the second game it just takes time um and in my experience at nova and then i know a lot of people at the recent german one as well ran out of time um i just don't think it's enough time so uh yeah
1: i would add 15 minutes i think that would solve Mm -hmm. problems um i'd also like to add this might be split uh in terms of reception but I think chess clocks would be great. I mean, you've got your time. I've got my time.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: can tell you how many times I've been waiting on a person who's just staring at their hand, and I've been, hey, you know, we have 25 minutes left, and we need to get through the rest of this game in the next one. Or, hey, like, you know, we've got five minutes left. We need to finish this round. And the person's just like, yeah, I know, but I'm just thinking. And it's like, okay, well, if you want to think, think on your time. Because the game is supposed to be played where, You know, you've made your decisions, you have your hands, and it's pretty intuitive on what you're supposed to do. Granted, there are times in which, you know, it takes maybe a minute or two to make the right decision because you need to sequence it in the right way. And don't get me wrong, every game I'll take, I'll have one or two of those moments. But if you're playing in a grand clash and there's a hard time limit, you need to be practicing for that. And uh, I think having people respect their own time would be great.
0: Yeah, that's true because you know, even if we're practicing, like if you're practicing to make sure all your games are done in 30 minutes, but I'm not, and I'm playing slowly, like that doesn't, like your practice doesn't really help the situation or it doesn't, you know, not, it doesn't do enough. Um, And I do think that, you know, each person really only deserves half the time. So I like the idea of chess clocks. I have heard people um, comment, I think with, you know, definitely some merit that the power step makes the chess clock situation kind of weird um i wonder if i wonder if there's really a solution to that or if that in practice if that really matters you know i don't think it does matter uh
1: yeah. power step me pass tap clock um, right. power step pass tap clock you you know like it's like chess if you've watched a high level chess game people are tapping that thing constantly and um right i, I mean i had some experience with war machine as well and that required clocks and uh, granted, there's no power step, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's important. And I think it's super easy to work with. I think those people might not want to do that. But, you know, competitive games, a hallmark of the strategy is you have a certain amount of time to pull a victory. Can you do it?
0: Yeah. And just having the chess clock there really keeps you and, you know, you, if having to keep change it um, probably really keeps you focused on the fact that you are timed and you do need to hurry up.
1: Exactly. Um, I also think it improves your play. Like, mm-hmm. if you're finishing your games, but, like, you have, like, a, a minute or two left and your opponent has, like, seven, then that probably means you're taking too long, you know? So, like, making those decisions naturally come faster and, like, learning from your own play style. I think that would be such a huge boon, I think, if you had that access to that information immediately after a game. Because you can think, like, wow, that game felt really, like, stressful and tight. And, like, it didn't feel like we had enough time. You look over at the clock and you only had like 30 seconds left and your opponent had two minutes, probably Mm -hmm. means you took a lot longer and that stress came from you more than your opponent, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Um, I bet that um, like, when you first start using them, I bet you make a few more mistakes at first because you're not giving yourself as much time. Mm -hmm. But I bet that you're able to learn from those mistakes and then like improve probably in the long run, probably faster. So maybe that's something that uh, I'll have to start thinking about doing um i wonder if anyone listening has any experience with chess clock for underworlds and if they do uh let us know um let's go to the next question uh michael carlin wants to know if we like marmite <laughs> honestly <laughs> because... i'm not even really sure what that is i know it's like <laughs> a beer byproduct but never tried it yeah i haven't either um michael when you come to the u.s you may have to bring us some i know the uh crit def podcast guys um recently ate some of it on stream and they had mixed result or not stream but on their podcast um and i think one of them liked it <laughs> the rest of them didn't so they
1: i have, have not a, tried it but the four guys on the podcast yeah yeah, yeah so
0: 25% not good <laughs> granted i think they were eating spoonfuls of it and i don't think that's how you eat it so <laughs> we'll have to get back to you on that one michael <laughs> yeah um let's see you want to go to the next question yeah
1: how do you think playing to the strengths of the meta or playing to counter the meta is right now especially with regards to high level tournaments like grand clashes is counter meta a viable strategy at that level and this question was asked on their discord by Arik dot um i think we've answered this question
0: um Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we've talked about this as well in our, you know, just our previous tournament experience. I think you always want to ask yourself really seriously whether you should be playing what you think the meta is going to be or if you want to try to play to counter it. Um, And I don't know if that's always an easy choice either. So.
1: Yeah, I definitely think regardless of whatever the most popular warband is, even if you are playing said warband, you make sure you beat the mayor. Cannot stress that enough.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think we've definitely learned that uh, lesson. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there was a follow-up question to this. Do you think the endless battle of team Jonathan and team Amon can end without bloodshed?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's (laughs) actually Ellie asked that question too. Do you think Amon or Jonathan will end up with Kristen Stewart? Yeah, I
0: think that may actually be the same person, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Um, I think that is a twilight reference to team Edward and team Jacob. And I guess my question would be which one of us gets to be the sparkly vampire, but I hope it's me, but (laughs) I mean, if you want to be
1: the sparkly vampire, man, all right, uh, upset and broody with his emotions, then dude, totally take it. Um, I love it. And uh, I think turning into a giant wolf would kind of be cool.
0: All right. Well, at least least we have that down. Um, Well, I guess we'll only time will tell if there there will be bloodshed, but
1: yeah, I, we have yet to play each other in a grand clash, That's uh, true. but if we did, um, I think that the game would, uh, result with no bloodshed. Uh, I think we both <laughs> have high respect for one another. I don't think we've ever taken it as a, uh, me versus him or him versus me type of situation. I, I you know, I understand that there is a, uh, sense of jest with the questions, but, uh, we're definitely seeing <laughs> glory through and throughout. And uh the purpose of every grand clash we go to is for one of us to win it. So if it's not me, it's Jonathan. If it's not Jonathan, it's me. And if it's neither of us, then there might be some bloodshed.
0: <laughs> and when we do play, it's gonna be one hell of a game, I'm sure. So I have a
1: very strong feeling we'll knock each other out.
0: <laughs> yeah. When... We're gonna take a game from the other
1: person regardless.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. If we take a yeah, if you go uh if one of us goes two and one, then then we might not make the uh, the final. Yeah, huh? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next one. Um, we kind of talked about this already. Uh, is objective play now dominant with all the new score immediately cards? What to do to beat it? Tactics. Yeah, I think we've covered that. Um, already.
1: But well, we do appreciate the question, Nathaniel. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a relevant uh topic. For the uh, episode um, <clears throat> Let's go to the next one uh, What kind of support Do you think the hunter mechanic Needs to get off the ground uh, What support do you think will actually be given To the hunter mechanic And then to follow up with that Who is Urgrub <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a powerful question so First off uh, <laughs> Kilo Rodado thank you for that um, I think I've been Messing around with the hunter Mechanic a little bit more than you have Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to answer that, go ahead. Um, I, I do have some thoughts, though.
0: Um, sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that if you already are a hunter, then, you know, that's valuable because there are really good buff cards for being a hunter. Um, I don't know if I've seen any meaningful hunter-quarry interaction. Uh, have you messed with that at all, Amon? I've been seeing one a lot, but I think it's because I've been playing Wild Hunt.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have Kurnos. Gives you an extra dice, and I think gives you ensnare against quarries. Right. And uh, a lot of people are taking uh, the card that uh, you're you're a quarry, but you're always on guard.
0: Yeah, survival instincts. Yeah, Yeah, so
1: that's just been really fun, uh, because a lot of the time they'd have dodge. So Mm -hmm. I'm just like, if you're not rolling uh, blocks or crits, I gotcha. Uh, and if I roll the right. crit card for you, right? So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the they still get the no drive back aspect of that card, which is pretty good too. But yeah,
1: still uh, solid. Yeah. Um, someone yeah. put that on Molog, and I was like, crap, can't push it. <laughs> I had like snare, pit trap, and a lethal hex behind him, and I was like, ah, I had it. Um, uh, but to answer your question, I think, hunter, like as Jonathan mentioned, hunter is great for hunters. Um, mm-hmm. my problem or. Rather, my challenge with Hunter Quarry is that there's no innate benefit for it. Uh, essentially, what it means to be a hunter is that you have access to a certain set of cards that most people don't have access to. Um, it's yet to be remain. It's yet to be seen on whether uh, how many more hunters will get in the second half of Beastgrave. But that's my biggest challenge with it. Like, mm-hmm. if a hunter like gave you rerolls or. Um, when you were inspired they made you something, do something cool, then I think it'd be more useful and I think people would be more excited about it. But it's just like being a mage or like a spellcaster or a leader. Uh-huh. You know, like a lot of cards, especially from the leader's pack, RIP, were restricted to leaders. So uh-huh. if you're a leader, great, you can use them. If you're not, then, well, I don't know. And um, <laughs> my biggest thing here is like, I wish there were fighters that were just quarries off the bat. And I don't know if we'll see any of that. Moving forward, I certainly hope we do. But it would be really cool to just have a warband that was a quarry. And so they get to use a lot of cards that are like, if you're a quarry, do this. If you're a quarry, do that. But what we're seeing is you have to take upgrades that make you a quarry. But Mm -hmm. is that even a bad thing? Because, again, as Jonathan mentioned, he hasn't seen really any interactions. And the only one I've seen is because I'm playing Wild Hunt. Um, So I don't know. Uh, again yet to be seen but at the, at this time i don't really think it matters and if you want to see support that the hunter mechanic needs to get off the ground then i think you make hunter either more accessible to everyone um but not just like upgrade this makes you a hunter no the upgrade should be like the corey upgrades this makes you a hunter you get to do this as well like plus 1 damage plus 1 move and i wouldn't be upset if there was a negative associated with it as well you're a hunter mm-hmm. So you're faster. But now you have one less defense. That's cool to me. That's sure. interesting. That's exciting. Um, but right now, if you're a hunter, you take hunter cards. If you don't, I don't think you tech into it. Like I said, I, the Magor build I was playing with earlier, don't think it's optimal.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing about the hunter mechanic is that when you, if you're not already a hunter um, innately, then it's effectively like a combo mechanic because you have to play one card to become a hunter um, and then you have to play another card that either only works for hunters or maybe you have to play another card to make somebody a quarry to get the hunter card to give you an effect. Um, it's just, uh, I feel like I say it a lot, but it's a lot of moving pieces, which to me just means it's complicated. And a lot of, this, a lot of the time it's just not forgiving. This game isn't forgiving enough to make that sort of thing viable. Um, I think in order to see it get off the ground, we would need a lot more upgrades that everyone is taking. To make you a quarry. And then we would need a lot more. Upgrades or cards that make you a hunter. Give you a buff. That works all the time. And then give you an additional buff. Against quarries. Similar to the wild hunt one that you were using. Um, like you probably wouldn't use that. If it didn't also give you an extra dice. You know. That's the only reason I do use it. Right. It's just an, an, it's an extra bonus. When you happen to attack a quarry. So. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they'll do that. Maybe it'll get better. Um I, I don't I don't think we can really say what will actually happen. Um we only have we've really only had 60 or so universals. Um so we have, you know, at least I guess what, twice that left, something like that. Um so it could get much better. We don't we don't really know.
1: Yep. Yeah. But uh I guess that answers the question. We've both pretty much said the exact same thing. So um <laughs> Just in two different, I guess, ways of saying it. So um, that's what we think would we need to make the hunter mechanic a little bit more viable for non-hunters. Uh, to your second question, who is Urgrub? I don't think I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and I don't want to find out. <laughs> right. Moving on. Uh, yeah, go ahead, do the next one. There's a full... Okay, so this is by DDC on the Discord. Does a full aggro Porch... Approach need more to compete with or challenge the current objective-based meta, or are there now sufficient tools, cards, warbands available, which need to be further tested and explored to root out their potential? Um, again, I feel like we've answered this question. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, uh, to be succinct, I don't think a full aggro warband uh, is the way to go. A full aggro approach, excuse me. And I, per Jonathan's previous comments, I think he agrees. Uh, and there are plenty of tools. To challenge objective-based warbands, as Jonathan mentioned, distraction, mischievous spirits, and restless plies being three of those. Um,
0: yeah, I think the only thing I would tack onto that is not only do you have the tools in the cards, but positioning and target priority can can really make the difference. Um, because you know, if they're not able to get to those objectives, then you can really put a wrench in their plan
1: yeah exactly good point yeah. there
0: um and then i think the next question is basically the same thing what tools would you want as an aggro player to disrupt yeah. objective play without being directly aggressive i think mischievous spirits is great for that um
1: this is a good one yeah again by Kilo rodato what's the best way to use lethals hexes and how do you prefer to counterplay against lethal hexes when you're not spoopy ghosties
0: yeah um i've been trying to play as few spooky ghosties as possible although i do want to try the arrows soon so um let's see so for me i think we mentioned it earlier but um where you place the objectives is actually um i think where you begin thinking about the lethal hexes um you mentioned that you can if you put an objective behind two of your starting hexes you can avoid um, the other player later putting a lethal down. I agree with that. Um, I also think the interesting thing is if you put one of your objectives n- close to that, but one hex off, um, then that means they can't put an objective there to block it. So you can actually secure your lethal hex position with your objectives as well. Um, so that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Very. Um, point. Don't think there's much that I can add to that.
0: Um And uh, interestingly, some of these flip cards, um, especially the spell um, that flips an objective token, um, I mean, that is good um, against objective decks because it flips an objective. And then it does create a lethal. So I could see that sort of having some double use. It's a little hard to cast, so maybe not, but uh, I'd at least consider it.
1: Right on. Um, next question same person what's your favorite tournament player tracker Um, and how much do you value do you how much value do you put into players who plays high on them Um, that's a really interesting question so Mm -hmm. i think your favorite and my favorite are both best ghost pairings Um, in regards to a tournament tracker in terms of value do i put into players who plays high on them Uh, a lot of value if it's a grand clash I don't really mm-hmm. put much stock into like who the best player overall is on BCP because that just means the events they attend are using BCP uh, or best Coast pairings. I've heard great things about Deckers. Mm-hmm. They've an awesome tournament structure. A lot of tournaments in Europe have been using their built-in uh, tournament uh, running system. Um, but personally for me, uh, i put a lot of stock into the people who place well in tournaments but I don't put a lot of value into the players who place high in just like random local events or like overall best ratings uh, because that doesn't really mean much um, to me personally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, because if you, for instance, I don't think Deckers has one yet, although maybe they will. Um, Best Coast pairings, you can go on there and see who has the most Best Coast pairings points. Um, for those events but the events only count if they use bcp and you have to make sure you're using bcp correctly you have to make sure you're logging in um to get the points um i think globally uh, not enough events use bcp um for the rating to be very valuable but i do think that if uh if locally all the events in your community use bcp um and you know, you do a year worth of tournaments, then that data should be a pretty good indicator of um, that local meta. But the problem with any data is that you really need as large a sample size as possible. Um, so hopefully that'll improve. But um, right now, I think you know, grand clashes are the hardest events to do well in because of their size. So I think that's probably the most reliable thing.
1: What I would like to see, uh, this may not necessarily answer your question, but similar thought processes, I would like to see a format or a rating system in which everybody could agree on. You (laughs) know, I found that uh, some of the guys across the the pond in Europe and UK, they kind of do like to do things their own way. A BCP, as you mentioned, isn't very popular there. But if there was a way in which we could find a universal scoring system and we could rank like the top players in each region, uh, and then even in the world collectively. I think that'd be really cool. I think it'd be a lot of useful information. You could follow what decks they've been playing. I think games workshop needs to get on that. Um, I think I would have loved to see that data at the end of night vault and I would love to see that data moving forward at the end of beast right? Like who are the best players? Who can you learn the most from? What warbands are they using? What do their decks look like? And what strategies were they using? Um, and all of that might be a little bit too difficult in one area, but at the very least, you could put region, player, um, overall rating, like warbands, and then you can be like, well, if X person from X country uh, is the number one player in the world, and they only took two warbands to every event, then you can probably get a good idea of what those two, of how well those two warbands perform uh, overall, like in the either in the U.S. or any other country, or even globally, which I think is really neat. And so I think someone needs to get on that. I'd love to work on something like that. Jonathan, I know you've mentioned that as well, but finding that global leaderboard, I think, would be something I would really like, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I guess my hope would be that eventually that's something that uh, Games Workshop sort of dabbles in like if you know you look at magic or something there everyone has a player number and they run their events and you know all your stats and everything are recorded and all that so that would be great and 40k and uh, sigmar and things like that they have the itc Um, i know the itc does underworlds but you have to use bcp or at least you have to report the results to the itc And I I just don't think there's really any participation in that right now. So maybe that'll be something that, uh, you know, the community or Games Workshop uh, takes on in the future.
1: Absolutely. Um, Next question, again, like Loro Dado. Lots of great questions here. What do you think about the team format in Beastgrave? Um, So I assume by team format you mean Alliance format? And uh, we love that format. Uh, It's a great format a lot of hard decisions you have to make there's a lot of forethought and foresight there's a little bit of luck when it comes to rolling off to see what matchups are placed against who but uh if you build a strong team that's capable of doing many things uh you'll find success and i love it and i it's my favorite i guess type of play even though i love playing uh championship format and it's the one i play the most alliance is a special place in my heart um And I think it's fun.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it adds a whole new level to the game. Um, And uh, I'm excited that I think there's going to be an alliance event at Adepticon, it looks like. There Um, is. And then ATC um, as well, probably. I do wonder if they'll change up the way the pairings are done. Um, I know that systems like the atc for 40k and other games and then the etc um, i think they have a little bit more of a modern pairing where like each team will put one deck forward as their attacker and then reveal it and then the other person gets to choose you know what that pairing is um, and then reveal that and then and so on like there's there's actually some really different uh interesting pairing systems that i think might be a little bit better than the one that we used previously but Um, sort of regardless of that um, I think it's a great format yeah I love it yeah Um, let's see I think we have one more question Uh, yeah this is regarding control um, by Requizen in the discord Um, there are definitely control cards in the meta cards like distraction or chievous spirits that are designed to shut down and deny your opponent while dictating the flow of the game uh, is there, however, such a thing as a, p- a pure control deck in the game? Um, he says he's tried to make it work a little bit with Curse Breakers, Jatharis, and mournflight Flight, um, sometimes using Tomes, uh, Tomes as a Glory Spike, and while it doesn't, or while it does work alright, it doesn't seem as consistent, uh, as control in something like Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone. Um, he goes on a little bit, he's seen control in the past, um, Let's see. Although it looks like they've been nerfed pretty hard. And people don't like playing it, I guess. So what do you think about that?
1: That's a really interesting question. So I really like the the Hearthstone and Magic reference, right? Because in those games, I really enjoy playing control decks because um, there are clear advantages and disadvantages. If someone is playing an aggro warband, if they get the jump on you, well, then you'll lose, or like, sorry, Warband uh, deck, right, in Hearthstone or Magic. Whereas if you're playing Control, like, the opponent still feels like they have a shot, but they're kind of racing against the clock. In regards to uh, Underworlds, I just don't think it's translatable. I mean, I know a lot of players come from Magic and Hearthstone because it's more of a card element to the game, but I just don't find it to be at a point yet in which it's reliable or at least provides a great player experience because in the past as some of the decks you know the person's alluded to they are questions that are like play styles that uh, were uninteractive and so control is supposed to be interactive you are supposed to interact with your opponent but you're supposed to interact in a way that denies them glory but historically what we've seen in underworlds is that all of these control decks have just been I'm going to either turtle in the corner and score a bunch of glory or I'm going to walk around in circles and read books. And I just don't know if that's indicative of how the game should be played. In fact, I don't think it is indicative of how the game should be played because it's an arena combat game. You're supposed to see two people go at it and fight in this, like, set arena. And so I think it's a really interesting like concept. And I reached out to Michael Carlin – from seals to the underworlds because he's quite often said that that blog was started because they wanted to share how to do well with defensive or, um, I guess control based decks. And so when I asked Michael this question, he goes in my idealized version of the game, control exists as a niche archetype. Um, and there are specific conditions surrounding that number one, it's not dominant. He agrees that that should be the, um, the principle for all playstyles. Number two, it requires a high level of use. It can be a friendly experience for new players, so it would be dangerous for people to be able to just net deck in the autopilot. So that's why it needs skill, it needs practice, in order to beat other inexperienced players. Number three, there are tech cards people can put into their deck to counter it. Uh, an example, he uses Spectral Wings or even more Passive Glory. <laughs> right now in Beastgrave, control only exists as a flex option when paired with another archetype. Examples, the Grimwatch deck he recently ran would sometimes offset boards, but could still score one or two glory around from past objectives. The only other possible pure control deck he thinks you could make at this time would be Curse Breakers, but honestly, mid-range or full aggro Curse Breakers are just better. He has no idea whether that will change in the future, but he thinks that the community has had a very negative reaction towards it, and some of this, again, was due to how broken... Cataphrane relics were in Shade Spire, and uh, kind of how um, uh, that Steelheart's deck that just didn't move and just stayed next to each other. Um, Turtle Cast is what they called it. Uh, some of it is due to the community of players coming from other games, Workshop games that have much looser rule systems, which are often which are often uh, policed by social pressure, calling other players when it all cost players, etc. For playing control, Underworld is obviously different and that it has a tighter rule set. And as I alluded to earlier, he says many players coming from Magic or similar backgrounds will be surprised at how negatively this community sees control. He hopes it becomes viable with the limits that he said in the future. He has his fingers crossed. So I think that's the best answer you're going to get. It was a bit long-winded, so I apologize for that. But at the end of the day, um, there is a negative reaction towards control, but that's because of the way it's been demonstrated in the game. I think if the design team um keeps some of these principles that Michael share in mind and uh you know expands upon that, then you can see control. But personally, in my opinion, control is interactive. You do interact with the other person, but the interactions are ones that, you know, no pun intended, you control. You are denying (laughs) them glory, right? You are doing what you want to do, which might mean just deny them glory while being able to score a couple pieces of glory here and there. The games aren't supposed to be blowouts. You're supposed to win in a very smart and tactical manner uh, and outplay your opponent. Otherwise, you shouldn't be auto-winning like some of the decks in the past. Jonathan, anything to add?
0: Um, Yeah, I think I do. So, interestingly, uh, I think that, personally, I would be surprised if we ever find a... Version of control in this game that we would consider to be full control um, that is also fun to play with and against and is interactive um, in general. I mean, personally, I don't mind um, control decks, even some of the ones that um, we've had previously from a competitive standpoint because they are a puzzle to figure out. There is usually a way to figure them out. Um, so i like it from the puzzle perspective but i don't think it's the way this game is supposed to be played um so i understand why the you know designers have sort of nerfed control um like the tomes like the spell spam like tomes malog or not tomes, i mean relics um so relics tomes malog and spell spam curse breakers have all been um significantly hit in the past and um as far as I can tell, those are the only three pure control builds that have ever existed. Um, anything that's available right now, or was it Nightball after those nerfs or Shade Spire, um, is at least flexing into one of the other two uh, archetypes. And personally, I think that's a good thing because if you if you really get to what this game is. Um, it's a miniature game with cards and that means you can really do three things you can play cards you can kill things and you can stand places um and when you're ignoring uh any of those things especially if you're only ignoring if you're only focusing on one of those things um that doesn't usually work like pure 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 aggro Where you're only playing like plus dice cards and all your objectives are, um, you know, focusing on killing, usually that doesn't work. Um, Pure objectives where you don't ever try to kill anything or, you know, anything like that, that usually doesn't work. Um, And the interesting thing about control is that sometimes it does work, but it's, you you almost might as well not set up your models half the time, is kind of how it feels like. Um, and so of the three, I think, uh, it actually becomes a problem when you can just completely ignore what's on the board for the most part and just focus on, you know, the card game aspect. Um, and so my hope would be that control never really becomes a. You know the third pillar of the way to play um i think it always needs to flex into something else i think aggro control is fine i think you should have to be able to fight the other person's players um, or fighters um but i think you can do that like you were saying in a controlled way where you determine the interaction um things like that um i think like a mid-range decks tend to be like aggro control and i think those are great um and then I think control objective is great as well because you're using your, um, you know, sort of control aspects to make sure your fighters are controlling the part of the board that they need to be on. Um, but I think if you're not interacting with the other player by killing their fighters or needing to control the board, um, then I'm not really sure you're playing underworlds um, in a way that I think is what people like about this game. So I'm not a big fan of pure control. I don't really want to see it back, but I guess if there's an example of a control deck that does do those things that people would consider to be full control, um, I'd be willing to, you know, give it a go. Um, but to me, I think that, you know, if you're ignoring positioning and target priority and counterplay and just sort of doing your own thing in the back with cards, then I'm just not really sure it's that's what Underworlds is or should be. So I think I, that's my perspective on it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great perspective, and I agree with your points, right? Like, it shouldn't be that type of game, but then we look at warbands like Eyes of the Nine who do it really well, right? Like, they are a controlled warband, and, um, and perhaps that's the blueprint moving forward is you have a weaker warband in terms of stats, but, like, every Eyes of the Nine player who i've seen do really well sits in the back follows their own game plan and tries to avoid you um again because they're yeah. weak stated the games feel more fair right like if you don't get long boarded, or even if you do you can still get to them and then just like tear them apart like kachark is a really cool counter punch weapon but he's like a, a missile right you shoot him once and he's probably gone after that um so there are ways in which it's still relevant today, and it can be played, but maybe there needs to be a sacrifice. Maybe your warband needs to not be able to do well in aggro, or like or in combat, or maybe hold objectives in order to play control, uh, like purely, which, again, I agree with you. I don't know if we'll ever see a pure control warband, but if there's ever one designed with that intention, then I think Eyes of the Nine, uh, even though they've got a lot of uh, complaints and issues from the community um you know people have tried to make them work and and eyes the nine is a good blueprint for that crappy fighters strong leader okay cards mm-hmm. turn back and just jump around move around shortcut confusion whatever and then eventually when they have to fight they die and if you don't kill enough of them then you win but if you kill enough of or you or, or you lose, but if you do kill enough of them, then you've won. So, I, I don't know.
0: Does, yeah. does that make sense? I think that's a good point, yeah. And I think that, uh, I mean, obviously there's aspects of the Eyes of the Nine that we, we think could be better. But right. if if they were designed to be a controlled warband, then the way that, like, Narvia and Tarash are, like, pretty easy to kill. Um, and just having four fighters instead of three really limits the positions that you can take. Um, so it's harder to hide. Um, so it'd be interesting if they could make like a larger control warband, um, even Moloch, who I think has aspects of control sometimes, um, you know, he has three other fighters that you have to at least try to hide from the other person. (laughs) So, um, I think that's a good point. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I I just think you should always have to, at some point, interact with the other person and that should be a part of your plan. Um, or, you know, I think, Games like Magic and Hearthstone are just better for that. Because I love control in those sort of games.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest you could probably get to control is you do your own thing in your territory and you just take a whole bunch of anti-objective cards. Like, you know. Yeah. So you're stopping your opponent from scoring their game plan, which means they have to come and try to interact with you. And and that's cool, right? Like, forcing your opponent to change their game plan seems like... It's kind of cool, but if you're able to do it consistently where you shut them down and are untouchable, then that's the problem. And that's all we've seen, aside from Eyes of the Nine.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's been a lot of uh, control, aggro, flex, and you could even have a lot of control and just a little bit of aggro, and I think that's fine too. I mean, I I think I consider my Nova Profiteers deck to be, uh, you know, control aggro, some mixture of that um and i think it has a lot of control because other than shard gale and uh i think ma- ma- mainly shard gale was my only like damaging ploy everything else was like positioning and disruption and things so like had that word as well because you
1: killed your oh, i had
0: lethal word yeah
1: a couple times
0: yeah but lethal word really is kind of a control card because it's stopping an objective score most of the time you know combination with shard gale correct Yep, yep, or just, you know, or, you know, because I was also aggro, the number of attacks that I had. So, I mean, I like I like that aspect of it. I love uh, objective and aggro decks that have a heavy control aspect because um, it gives you a lot of tools. But I think that it's important that uh, successful decks interact. But, I mean, as a final point, this is from a game, sort of almost like a game design um perspective competitively um i don't really mind the puzzle i'm just glad when the designers make these changes um and i also wouldn't blame anyone that is playing a control deck because you know this is the game and these are the cards that are in the game and if it works and you're able to win you should play it so it's we could probably have a whole episode on this but it's uh it's definitely an interesting subject
1: yeah i agree i think I, don't, I won't fault people for solving the puzzle, like you said, and using the mm-hmm. cards that are in the game. I think what it comes down to is um, those interactions should never be in the game in the first place, right? And so, obviously, <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard making a game. It's really hard designing a game. Um, we've all heard about the lead times that Games Workshop has. So, it's really mm-hmm. hard to anticipate and test everything out. Um, so, a big thank you and kudos to the design team for just making an awesome game in the first place. And, you know, being able to provide, you know, all these conversations and this content and and these games that we play and these events. But, uh, you know, there are challenges and I don't think anything's perfect. But every time we've seen a non-interactive warband or playstyle come into the game, it's been taken care of via the bar list or what I guess people are now calling the far list. I don't think I'll ever call it the far list, but (laughs) uh, the bar list and um you know like i had a really negative experience playing against a warband that did nothing but just spam spells in a corner um Mm. and i wasn't upset at the player after you know i lost uh in the in warhammer fest in the final i shook his hand i thought he played very well i told him congratulations for coming up with that style of play and that deck i think that takes a lot of skill and uh, a lot of uh, foresight but um You know, like, there's nothing you can do. Like, if you're playing community, then, yeah, maybe don't be that guy. But if you go to a Grand Clash, take the deck. The whole point (laughs) of Grand Clash is to win the game. And if you're able to find a way within the game that's legal to do the best that you can, then absolutely, because whether some people throw criticism at my comments right now or not, at the end of the day, it's a competitive game. We all play it because we want to win. Now, we don't necessarily want to win at all costs. But in a grand clash, like you're stricter, right? Like in a local event, if your opponent's like, oh, I forgot to uh, play this card. You mind if I play it real quick? You're going to say yes, like 99% (laughs) of the time because it's a local event. In a grand clash, I've said yes. I've been like, yeah, that's fine as long as I get one like redo as well, you know? Like I think that's true. Like, oh, if I forget to play a card, please let me. And my opponent's (laughs) usually like, yeah, that's fine. But if I'm in the final and if I'm in game three, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to be like, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. No, I don't know. You know, cause yeah. like we're in the, I'm not going to like be, be, be rude uh, or like <laughs> be unsportsmanlike, but if my opponent forgets to react with like, I don't know, the spy shroom doing a damage, that's on them. They're going to be like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to be like, yeah, you did. Cause a reaction is a choice, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, Th- that's something that I've noticed. Um, sort of in my own play is that uh less recently but it's because i've put a focus on it um is sometimes i will have to ask the other player to like let me do something or i make a mistake and i want to go back and things like that and i've uh, personally been working on not even asking for take backs um and i think that it's better to practice that way. And then when you get in the game, I think you should hold yourself to a standard where you're not asking for takebacks. Um, and I think that if you're also not going to give takebacks, it's a good idea to have the conversation with your opponent in the beginning and let them know, like, hey, this is a competitive game. Uh, I want to follow the rules. I'm not going to ask you for to go back, and I don't really want to go back for you either because I want to play this game uh competitively according to the rules and i think if you do that then i think that that is fine you know if this was a video game and i hit pass i've passed you know exactly and i I think that's
1: a fantastic point um you know like i forget what movie your reference is but it's like you place the dragon standard like there's no there's no you (laughs) know you don't uh there's no quarry. Like you you, you you, fight to the end, and if you're going to let your opponent know at the end of the day, like, hey, we are playing a game. We're in a final of a grand clash or a final of a local event or even just playing a regular game that you're practicing with your buddy. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to practice for a grand clash. Don't make mistakes. And yeah. If you make mistakes, learn from them. If someone lets you go take a take-a-take a take back all the time and you expect that, then I'm sorry, you're not getting
0: better as a player. Um, you're probably yeah. getting worse. It's it's definitely possible. I mean, I think a lot of the time we learn from painful mistakes, (laughs) not just mistakes. Absolutely. Uh, So I think that if you know, you're really hard on yourself in practice and then you hold yourself to that standard in in actual play, you won't get surprised. Because if I want to go back and I make a mistake and you say I can't, um, I mean, I would hope a judge would side with you because I you know, I made a decision and there isn't any reason for me to go back. Um, And then if I'm expecting that sort of leniency and then it isn't given, you know, maybe that'll put me on tilt. Um, And I think as the game becomes more competitive, um, especially at some of the larger events coming up, like the January event, um, I don't know what the value of flights to the United States and uh, hotels for, what, four or five days at the Nova Open Um, But that's significant monetary value. Um, So, I mean, some of these events are giving big prizes. And I think everybody needs to sort of have their game face on and uh, play seriously, you know, because you can't guarantee that the other player is going to not want you to follow the rules, (laughs) which is really what it gets down to. Like, if you're asking for take backs, you're asking them to like, make it so you don't have to follow the rules. Um, So it's an interesting subject. Um, I think if something is, like,
1: obvious, like, if your opponent just is obviously going to do it, mm -hmm. and didn't, I think, like, the intent was there, so I'll give it to him. But if it's like, oh, you push your fight here, oh, well, then I'm just not going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to be like, well, you know, relax, buddy. You know, you said pass. Um,
0: Yeah, and, and, I mean, honestly, um, I would still probably let most people go back. Um, if it was reasonable, um, I've made mistakes. I know what that's like. Um, but what I don't want is to let is for me to assume that the other person is going to do that. And then, uh, cause really it's, it's not helping my game. So, uh, you know, I think you always just, I think it's just one of the things that, uh, makes you a better player.
1: Yeah, so. I agree. Like the other day we played a game and I was like, I'm going to play inspired attack. And you were like, you have no one inspired. And I was like, you're right. I'm not going to play, <laughs> uh,
0: you
1: know? Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's, ex- that's a common example. Cause like I had nobody inspired.
0: Uh, sure. Or if but, like, but technically maybe you had inspiration strikes or whatever, or regal vision, you know, maybe you had that ready. So, I mean, technically I could have said, well, you just played it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and obviously I don't know if I would ever do that, but if, if I, if, like I said, if this is a video game, and I play the card, it's played. So I think you need to hold yourself to that standard. But I, don't know, I think we could talk about this forever, too. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, first of all, would like to thank everybody for some awesome questions. Um, you know, we've been trying to steer our podcast into more of a conversational um, style or format. Um, there are a lot of great content creators out there, there are some great podcasts, um, and we feel like You know, at the end of the day, sometimes we all get – we cover the same things. And so we're just going to move away a little bit from more structured formats and kind of make this more about talking about the meta, answering questions from our community members, and just talking and focusing on our three main points, right, which is competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. That's not to say that we're going to not have any more guests or go over – grand clash wins or things like that no that's still something that we're very much going to want to do but there's just going to be less structure and more discussing the meta and again those three pillars that we have here um so thank you for you know submitting those questions awesome stuff and i hope you enjoy and continue to enjoy our content if you have any suggestions on today's episode or the format please leave us any feedback um, if you have any questions comments you can always let us know at Facebook, and now on our Discord, Path to Glory Podcast. You can also follow us on Podbean, where you can find the show notes for this episode. You can also rate us on iTunes. Uh, Ratings help us a lot and help spread the awareness, so we would love and appreciate that in advance. And thank you so much for listening. As always, we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. Nice.